Are you presently experiencing any anxiety, fear, insecurity, dealing with a trauma, a past trauma, or a present one? Well, know that you're not alone. We all have our challenges, our constraints, our inhibitions, our fears, our anxieties. But also know that there is a way out. We're now in a season, the Passover season, which provides us with a formula. Actually, a 3,334-year formula to experience true exodus and transcendence from any difficulty and challenge we have experienced in life. So please join me. Passover, the exodus strategy. How to use this formula of Passover to develop a strategy to experience exodus from any form of constraint, limitation, fears, anxieties, and all the different maladies and challenges we face in our hearts and in our souls. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will be speaking about Passover, the Exodus strategy. This program is dedicated by Annette Randall in honor of Harry Golden, author of For Two Cents Plain. There is no one on this earth that does not experience some form of anxiety fear, insecurity. Sometimes it's mild, sometimes it's more extreme. Because life, life is filled with challenges. Some of them difficult challenges. Some go back to our childhoods. But everyone has, at some point in their life, a time that they have to deal with. It could be dealing with a loss, with a trauma, a present one or a past one, with a tragedy. Could be dealing with the inner demons, the psychological demons, due to our own pathology or history. The list goes on. You can fill in the blank. Whatever you feel is the thing you're struggling with. That's what we're going to be addressing. But first thing is to know that we're not alone. This is part of the human condition. But more importantly, that there is a strategy. There is a formula to deal with it. And it's actually, this is the season for that formula called the Passover season. Passover literally means to pass over, to transcend our challenges, to transcend our difficulties. But it's not just ignoring it or escaping from it or running away or denying it. It's actually freeing ourselves from it. And indeed, it's a formula that goes back 3,334 years. back to the time when the exodus from Egypt took place. And the exodus was far more than just a physical exodus, as we read in the story of the Haggadah of Passover Seder, in, and based on, of course, the biblical story. It's actually a spiritual exodus, and a psychological and emotional one, even more importantly. Because you can leave prison and still be trapped in your mind, in your heart, 
in your fears. The true exodus is when your spirit is freed. So what is the method? What is the way to experience it? And how can we apply that to our personal lives, no matter what situation we may be in? That's what we want to address here. So I want to break it down into a few components. And actually, if you're going to be doing a Seder, and I definitely encourage you to do so, the Seder is a 15-step plan toward this type of freedom, toward transcendence. And in previous years, and we have online at MeaningfulLife.com, you can find the entire Seder broken down in those 15 steps. I did actually two years ago during COVID, I, uh, when COVID just began, I did a 15-step video with, musical, with a musical uh, dimension to it of each of these steps, of how each step helps us get to a deeper place. And I went through also the different components of the Seder. So I don't want to do a full Seder right now. I do, however, want to focus on three, four themes that are essential to that formula that helps us get through our anxieties. Now, the first thing we have to always remember that we can be our own worst enemy, our blind spots, our biases, our prejudices, our minimizing, our denial. So when you're dealing with a problem, it's not just the problem per se. It would be one thing if you have a broken clock and you sit down, either you or a technician or someone knows what to do, they look at it, they diagnose it, and they fix it. The clock is going to cooperate because the clock doesn't have any will of its own to resist your you're, you're repairing it. But imagine the clock spoke back to you or the clock had its own resistance. That's the situation when we're dealing with our own challenges. Because of the psychological and emotional effects it has on us, it's not that very predictable. It's not like, okay, there's a problem, let me get it fixed. The problem gets compounded by the fact that it's our own problem and we're blinded by it. And if you don't address that, you keep going in circles. Like this, the, this uh, I think Einstein was that said that you cannot fix a, 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 a cannot fix a problem from within the system where the problem was created. You need to go outside of the system. So essentially, Passover in general, and the psychological first step in this formula, is to be able to separate yourself and say, "Here's an issue. Let me define it, and I'm not going to allow my biases and my blind spots to affect it." Now it's easier said than done. But that's the first most important thing is to be the awareness of an issue and as much as possible. And that's why we need friends, a mentor, or someone that can help us look at it somewhat objectively. I say somewhat because it's impossible for a person to see themselves entirely objectively. But at least be aware of that. Remember, we cannot become suddenly transform ourselves from subjective creatures to objective ones, but you can be aware of your subjectivity and be anticipate blind spots, resistance, denials, minimizing, and so on. And this is vital in any journey. The journey is called integrity. It's called sincerity. It's called honesty, being honest with yourself. So if it's any experience that you're going through, whether it's a fear, whether it's a form of shame, listen, shame by definition is such that you're ashamed to be ashamed. That's what shame is, which in itself becomes the issue because you don't want to acknowledge it or you don't want to really really face it because very that's part of what shame is all about but shame is so much part of abuse and hurt and trauma that we have to in some way look at it so essentially the first step is and this is why the seder begins with kadesh which means kadesh literally means to sanctify to make a blessing on wine it's a form of sanctification but it also means to separate from 
It's like everything, anything that you've been doing yesterday, start anew. I'm going to start anew. It's like a new, a new, a clean slate. Now, it's not a completely clean slate, obviously, emotionally, because we still carry the baggage. But in your mind, at least, say, you know what? For now, I'm going to put, think of myself as like a new person. And this is vital in any form of healing. It's the first step toward to any type of cure is awareness and looking at things in that sense. So that's step number one in this formula. And that's why there is a Passover Seder. You know, people ask, why are we remembering what happened 3,304 years ago in a uh, different land, in a different country, in an ancient time? Because we're meant to relive it. And we're meant to be aware of it. In each generation, the Talmud says, we need to relive and recreate the exodus from Egypt. What does that mean? It doesn't mean the physical, it means the concept. Mitzrayim, Egypt in Hebrew, means constraints. That's the blank I was referring to. It means everything that you're trying to deal with. So I would begin and identify what are the issues you want to deal with, or one issue or several, and then think of it that here we have a night, we have a day, where we can use this time, this energy of this time, to focus and say, okay, I'm going to focus on this, I know I have power, and I'm going to recreate both my challenge, but most importantly, the exodus from it. So the first exodus is not being defined by it and not being shaped by it, which means being aware that it's there. That leads me to point number two, which is not being shaped and not defined. I know I just jumped the gun for a moment. The next thing you need to know that you are not your problems. In other words, your problems don't define you. Your problems are part of your life, the circumstances of your life, but you are not defined by it. You are fundamentally a pure soul, a free soul, a free spirit that may have been trapped. Well, not just may have been, we're all trapped in some way in our physical bodies or the way it's put in the Tanya in our animal souls and in a physical world with all types of temptations and distractions that seduce us. And, in the, and they grasp this in their tentacles and distract us from where we should be. Once you can identify that and separate yourself, I mentioned before separation, so really it consists of two components. One is, separa- one is recognizing what it is and identifying it and not just allowing your subjectivity to cloud it, recognizing that you may be blinded, that you may be sometimes your own worst enemy. And secondly, to know that you are not defined by it. When the people left Egypt, the challenge, the big challenge was that they psychologically were trapped. They did not feel just, not just the oppression and the affliction and the slavery and the bondage. In their minds, they felt they're not free people. They couldn't, they could not, it says they couldn't even listen to Moses because of their shortness of breath and the difficult work. Because when you're overwhelmed, you can't hear things. You can't see things clearly. So the critical component was that Moses convinced them in a positive way, your time of redemption has come. You are really free people. And when in your mind and your heart and soul you know that, then the rest follows. Obviously, you still have to deal with adversity, you have to deal with your captors or you deal with your oppressors, which was also dealt with. But the first thing you need to know, that you can win this battle. There was a custom in olden times, I'm not sure which armies, as they marched out to war, even before the first battle, they would sing a song of victory. Now, they didn't even begin battling. But it was the confidence. You see it today. It's replicated in every game. Look at a football game, a baseball. You see how the coach, the teams, they hype each other up. They haven't even begun because 
you need to have the psychological wherewithal, psychological confidence, and positive thinking. The psychological confidence and positive thinking that you could win. And if you don't have that, even if you have a stronger army or more weapons, you may lose. And you will lose. Because psychologically your opponent may be weaker than you, but psychologically they can beat you. And if you don't think you don't have that confidence, then that is a big problem. You need to know that there's hope, and that is defined by recognizing that you're not, and that's determined by recognizing that you're not defined by what has happened to you. So let's say you experience serious trauma as a child, some form of abuse. Let's say you have a deep shame inside of you. You have other fears that are a result of that, that play itself out in your life, as you may know better than anybody else does. You are not that person. That is part of your behavior. It's part of your modus operandi presently, but it's not does not define you. Critical point. So that's point number two after the first one of identifying the issue and somewhat recognizing that you may be blinded and subjective and therefore may be contributing to the problem. So step number two, you're not defined by it. That is actually the secret to all resilience. The people that go through difficulties in life, and we're talking about holocausts and losses and deaths and tragedies. So you'll see two people went through exactly the same thing and one falls apart and the other is stronger in the broken places. How's that? Is it purely the, their genetic DNA? Is there genetic makeup in their DNA? There may be some of that, but more importantly, it's this issue. You will always see that the person who's able to rise, to dig deeper, to ride through the waves, the storms, the raging waves, is the one that does not feel they're defined by what has happened to them. So they have something to hold on to, like a life raft that gives them that ability. Yes, terrible thing has happened. I'm talking about even in the worst case scenarios. Definitely milder situations, but it's not me. And therefore the me remains intact. As soon as you think you are your problem, that the tragedy is you. So besides the fact that you first blame yourself and say, look, I'm, 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 I'm damaged goods. Nobody want, will love me. Nobody cares about me. I'm, not, I'm worthless. That's obviously a tremendous part of the problem. But in addition to that, you have nothing to hold on to because you feel you are the issue. Whereas if you know there's a me and there's what happened to me, that's very different. Then the me may still be submerged and may be difficult to access, but at least you have hope in accessing it. So that's message number two in this 3,334th year, 3,334 year formula of, of Passover to remember this idea that you are not defined by it, that you are a free person and you can talk about the trauma, you can talk about the past, you can talk about the, the, the bondage, the slavery in the context of Egypt or any other of the experiences and fears and other stuff that has happened to us that causes us to be inhibited or not to be able to really express ourselves completely. So that's number, that's number uh, what do we say, number two. So the, the number three point is Passover is all about questions. You see, it's built around questions. The children are encouraged to ask questions. Things are done to provoke the children to ask questions. Why is that so important to ask questions? And it's not just to create a dialogue and engaging. It's deeper than that. 
Because questions is the ultimate expression of freedom. The freedom of expression. Free speech. As you see in the Declaration of Independence and Bill of Rights, it goes back all the way to Passover. Pesach, the Hebrew word for Passover, means Pesach, a speaking mouth. You are allowed, not only allowed, you're encouraged. You're actually obligated to ask questions. Asking questions means you're allowed to express yourself. What is one of the worst parts of shame that is a result of any form of hurt in life? You're silenced. You can't speak because you're told, who are you to say anything? Nothing happened. The silence, they say, is worse than the crime. Or more graphically put, the silence is worse than the rape. Because it's one thing to be violated and to be hurt. So at least you could cry out in protest, in pain. But if you're told you can't cry, smile. There are pictures to be taken. What do you think happens? That means you're being invalidated. Your very pain is being invalidated. Far worse than the original pain. So we're told, express yourself. Magid is the main bulk, the fifth step in the 15 steps of the Haggadah, of the Seder, which is the name Haggadah. Magid means to relate. Haggadah means the relating of the story. We tell, we talk. Not only do we, we can we talk, we should talk, we must talk. And talking means, obviously, asking questions, being curious, knowing that you will not be silenced or, or, or shut down. Now, obviously, there's a healthy way to ask questions. Some people ask questions just to ask questions to justify their position, not because they want answers. Here we're talking about questions as part of a journey toward freedom. And that's why you'll see any free society, the first thing is freedom of expression. I don't know if this applies today, but Thomas Jefferson said if he had to choose between free speech and a free press, he would use free, free, free press, because without a free press, you won't have freedom of speech. Some people question whether there is a free press today, but that's another discussion. And that's why you also see on the, on the, the, on the other side of the coin, the other end of the spectrum, what is a fascist regime, a totalitarian regime? Any dictator comes to power, the first thing they do is they have to silence their enemies. They have to silence their opponents. They have to mind, mind control, pop propaganda, controlling the airwaves. Controlling the flow of information. Why? Because any question is a threat. You can't be challenged. That's why you'll see these regimes will establish immediately a Bureau of Truth and Information. Rest assured, if you hear about a Bureau of Truth, Truth and Information, you can know it's neither true nor information. Because truth and information should be coming from all of us to ask. Fine, we go to intelligent people, to objective people, to scholars, to people who are experienced, to seasoned individuals. Pravda, which is the Russian newspaper, the communist newspaper. You know what Pravda means? Truth. As a matter of fact, the Yiddish communist newspaper for many years was called MS. Truth. Would you trust a newspaper that calls itself the truth? Here's the truth. Some say the word MS in Hebrew is written in Hebrew Yiddish, Aleph Mem Sof. The newspaper actually spelled it Ayin Mem Ayin Samach. If you're familiar with the Hebrew, that's a complete misspelling. It's pronounced that way. Some say, because the editor was trying to hint to the readers that don't think this is true, even the name is misspelled. And my, my grandfather used to tell me, he was, he was from Russia, he said to me, my father was, happened to be a journalist, but my father, grandfather was like a somewhat, uh, somewhat uh, skeptic, uh, cynical about, me, about journalism. He said to me, everything in the newspaper is a lie. 
So I said, Zayd, Grandpa, come on, please. This is America, free press. So he said, everything is a lie. And you'll see when you get older. He told me, even the date on the newspaper is a lie. It was printed the night before. Interesting insight. But that's an aside. Let's get back to our discussion here. So we see asking questions, communicating, finding someone to speak to, and finding the right people who will listen to you and won't criticize and won't judge and won't be condescending and won't be patronizing. So that's step number three. So we have so far three steps. One is understanding your subjectivity and blind spots and somewhat separating yourself from the experience that you're dealing with, your Mitzrayim, your shame, your fear, your anxiety, your trauma, whatever it may be. The second step was knowing that you're not defined by it. And the third step is you are allowed to ask. And this actually reinforces point number two, because once you're allowed to speak, then you can say, one second, something was done to me. Something hurt me. Someone hurt me. And that alone is already separating. You, the one that's questioning or crying out or protesting against any form of violation or any form of hurt or pain, that alone reinforces the fact that you are not it. When you're silenced, it's basically saying, swallow it. It's, that's who you are. And shut up. And actually nothing happened. Something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with your perception. As people have, I mean, I can't tell you how many people have told me. That's what I was told. I was hurt. And I was told, you're the problem. You're making it up. Couldn't have happened. Because it was, of course, very convenient for those, the perpetrator or the, those that covered up the perpetrator. That's why the cover-up, the silence, is so terrible. And that's why speaking is so vital. There's a, st- a verse that the Talmud explains that says, if a person is anxious, so the Hebrew word for the response to that is yasiach. Yasiach, the Talmud says, can be interpreted in two ways. One means to speak about it, from the word sicha, speak. Like Haggadah, like Magid, speak about it. The second is with Asamach, which is a different translation, it means to distract yourself. So one of the great classic mystics, the fourth Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Marash, asked the question, seems to contradict the two interpretations. To speak about it is the opposite of distracting yourself and thinking about something else. He says, no, when you speak about it, you release it. Release it. It's freedom. And when you release it, you don't obsess over it. How many things we obsess over within ourselves? Someone said something to us, we're insulted, or past grievances and so on. And you carry it, and it ties you up in knots. And you're consumed with it. You can Nightmares. And you just can't get rid of it. When you speak, it's a way of freeing yourself. So that's the step number three in this formula that we're discussing. Number four. We eat matzah on Passover. You know what matzah represents? One word, bittel. A word I've introduced many times in these classes. It's a Hebrew word, but I'll translate it. It's hard to fully capture in one word, but it's a combination of humility, modesty. But the best expression I like to use for this is the suspension of self. Not just suspension of self, in absorbing something greater than yourself is the ultimate form of transcendence. What is, the, what is the, the, the alter ego, if you wish, or the diametric opposite of Bittel? Me and nothing else. I'm the center of the universe. Everything is about me. Yes, sometimes you'll give something because you get something in return. But it's all about me. Bittel is the opposite. It's not about me. It's about what is greater than I am. 
is the ultimate experience of freedom. Even though it sounds counterintuitive, you know what? If I'm not going to take care of myself, who will take care of me? No, but the truly free people and the truly happy people recognize that they are here to serve a higher cause. Whatever that cause is, I'm not dispelling it out right now. But it's not man-made and it's not about you. And that makes you paradoxically greater than when you just focus on yourself because you're only as great as you can be. And that's always going to have a limitation. But if you connect yourself to a cause that's eternal, that's infinite, that's dedicated to spreading goodness and kindness, bringing light to this world, then you become an extension of that. And that's tremendously empowering. One of the saddest things that brings one to tears when you hear about children who've been hurt, about any of the Mitzrayims we're talking about, that we're trying to free ourselves in this Exodus strategy, Exodus strategy, is that we were not allowed, we were hurt, and it's so-called our flower began to close up, like literally in a, uh, like, like in a um, fetal position where you curl up in your fears and you can't spread your wings and soar and be yourself and really express the true you. So what happens is that you become very trapped in that little corner that you've been placed. That's the ultimate enslavement not being able to be yourself, the fullest sense of yourself. So interestingly, bittel, the ability to free yourself from your own experiences is the key to ultimate transcendence. And that's what matzah represents. Matzah is like a thin cracker. It's flour and water, just like bread, but bread is not allowed on Passover. Why not? Because bread is, is chametz, leavened bread, which means that it's, the yeast, and it, and it inflates, it represents ego, self. And matzah represents lechem oini, the minimal, just, bread, just flour and water that is not allowed to inflate and rise. And as a result, it captures and personifies the concept of this suspension of self, which is so vital to freedom. Now, after Passover and before Passover, we do eat bread. Because an ego is not, a goal is not to destroy the ego. The goal is to sublimate it, to harness it. So the seven, eight days of Passover, seven in Israel, outside of Israel, it's eight days. We eat matzah that symbolizes this idea. But let's talk about the psychological aspect of it. It's recognizing that there's something greater than you are. And that you have the blessing and the gift to be part of it. Now if you think about it, going back to the three previous steps, you'll see it's an extension. We began by first recognizing that you may be blinded. Secondly, you're not defined by your traumas and your negative experiences and by your suffering and pain. That doesn't define you. You may have suffered, but you're not a sufferer. Number three is the concept that we spoke about, being able to speak, to breathe, to be able to open up about it. And now we talk about transcendence, actually experiencing something greater than you are. So one of the most important things to remember, and it is counterintuitive again, that when you're feeling locked and trapped, the best thing you could do is not curl up in bed, not isolate yourself and in your own lonely place, but actually to go out and help somebody, even if you're not in the mood. Because that is the ultimate expression of transcendence. Don't allow your mood, your feelings, your demoralization to control you. 
Now, that's not always going to be easy to do. That's why it's important to commit either to volunteer to some volunteer, make sure it's locked in every Monday, every Tuesday, whenever it is, you're committed to doing so-and-so so you can't get out of it. That, again, paradoxically, will help free you from your very own sadness and demoralization, whatever experience you've had is causing you to have. So that's number four, the concept of bittel. But then we also drink wine on Passover. So wine is like the other side of things. Wine is not just water. It's a rich drink. It's the drink of royalty. And on Passover night, we're supposed to be like royal. We're not just former slaves, just freeing ourselves and just getting out of prison. We're kings. Because as I said, we're free spirits. Free spirits that have been trapped and are trapped in some way in this material world. But that's not our definition. That's not who we are. So we drink wine that expresses that royalty, that expresses a certain openness of heart and soul, which wine does. It says, Nichnes as the wine enters, Yotzeh the inner dimension of you is expressed. Now we're not talking, God forbid, intoxication or any excess, excessive drinking. And those that have issue with drinking, there are guidelines of how to do that on Passover. It's the symbolism that I'm discussing here, the significance of it, the expansiveness of it. Because on one hand, matzah alone, okay, fine, I will be humble and modest and suspend myself in something greater. But then you express that greatness in your life. You're drawing it down. It's not just you're subjugating yourself, you're drawing it back. And now drink like a king, like a queen. And know that you deserve everything in this world because you were created in the divine image and you're fundamentally a free spirit. Your soul is free. Nobody can enslave your soul except yourself. People can do things that can enslave you psychologically, emotionally, as we discussed. But ultimately, nobody can really control you, which is so much the essential theme of Passover. So we talked about five key components in this formula, in this 3,334-year formula of the Exodus strategy. Now, there's no doubt, this is going on for over three millennium, that when a person employs these methods and this formula, it will work. Now, there's no magic pill. Nothing works just overnight quickly. It's a really an approach. And this approach is meant to be not just one night or two nights of the Seder, but it's meant to spill over, that you integrate it into your life all the time, which means every day you should be focusing on these five components. This is the true formula for total healing. And healing means that you don't, you can't erase your past, but you can transform it. You can harness it. And that's ultimately what the Passover teaches us, that that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. That which didn't hurt us makes us more powerful. And it's actually a verse in the, in the book of Exodus, right? The beginning. As they were oppressed, in direct proportion to their affliction and oppression, they thrived and they flourished. That tells you the answer to all recovery. It's not just getting back to square one. It's not just damage control. No, it's harnessing. It's transforming. It's using it as a springboard. That whatever you've learned in your darkest moments, whatever you learned in those difficult places in life, will ultimately become the, the ingredients. Think of it like the tears that become the moisture 
that feeds and nourishes your growth and makes you into a far greater person. That's the ultimate goal in this whole process. So these five steps are all meant, and I have five steps, as I said, there are 15 steps of the Seder. I'm not replacing them. I just wanted to sum it up in, in, more, in more, let's call it more uh, um, actionable terms that each of us can really employ. If you want more detail, obviously, please go to MeaningfulLife.com. You can see the 15 steps in more detail and so on. But I would begin with these five key thoughts and ideas and actually methodologies, what I would really call them. And that will definitely create the transcendent Passover experience. But not just for seven, eight days of Passover, but really forever. It's meant to set things in motion. Because all these energies extend and continue to the rest of our lives. So it's time, my friends, to each one of us, to finally become free. Yes, after all what we've gone through, each of us in our own way, and everybody knows what their own experiences are like, it's time to be free. And you have the right and you have the gift, and no one should ever be able to, no one should ever convince you of the otherwise. Never accept someone telling you, nah, too late for you, who do you think you are, you're too old. No, there's no such thing. The spirit, the soul does not age, does not die even. It continues to get more vibrant, but we have to access it. It's right there inside of you. I always am fond of Michelangelo's response when he was asked, how do you sculpt those beautiful angels in the marble? And his response was, I see the angels trapped in the marble and I carved and carved and set them free. Set them free. The angels are within you. The song is within you. The flowers are within you. The beauty, that free spirit is within you right now. You must know that. And you must surround yourself with people who confirm and affirm that and validate that and encourage you instead of the opposite. And by following the steps we discussed, will definitely assure and help you get to these higher, greater places. So everyone should have a very, very freeing and transcendent Passover, freeing and transcendent life. Be the you that you were created to be. You were born an original. Don't become a copy. And even worse than a copy, just a product or even a victim of someone else's version or vision of what you should be. You have the capacity, literally, to become something that is unbelievable, eternal, and infinite, and manifest this, this in your life. Thank you so much. Everyone have a very happy holiday. This has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com, where you can find this and many other programs, many other programs. We are also on YouTube, on Facebook, and all the different social media platforms. Please benefit, take advantage of our robust schedule of activities, as well as different programs, video, audio, text. And I'd love to hear your feedback and your thoughts and your comments and suggestions. And as, of course, share with others. At the end of the day, the greatest gift is to share, to pay it forward. If something touches you, make sure that you share it with another. The goal is to create a ripple effect that ultimately transforms, the butterfly effect that transforms existence itself and creates a transcendent world, starting with a world in microcosm yourself. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.